0: Hey everyone, welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm your host, Chris Case. In 2021, four of us on the Fast Talk Lab's staff, our producer Jana, head coach Ryan, Trevor, and me, chose an N1 challenge. You've hopefully heard us speak about it previously on the show. It was meant to be an experiment of one, each of us, offering lessons for all. Particularly, you, the listeners. Today, we explore that last bit, those quote unquote lessons for all that each of us gained from our respective events. The most common term used to describe our events was transformative. That's a big word. Yet, in each case, the adjective is appropriate. In the case of Jenna, for example, it's so appropriate that she's traveling indefinitely with her bike in tow wherever she goes. Personal challenges, races, events of all kinds, they're meant to teach us, not just how to train better or more effectively, not just to progress as athletes and hopefully people, but also to gain a greater understanding of what's possible, what it means to be alive and healthy and able to do the things we love. That's transformative. And that's what we'll discuss today. One final note, sadly, Trevor has had to call an audible several times on his N1 challenge after health issues and race cancellations have disrupted his plans. Still, he learned lessons along the way that everyone can benefit from, and he shares those today. Ready to be transformed? Let's make you fast.
1: Listeners, we at Fast Talk can do more for you. Join Fast Talk Laboratories, our new sports science training center, and you can dive deeper into the training science you love hearing on Fast Talk. At Fast Talk Labs, we offer pathways, which are like a masterclass exploring key training concepts. We have hundreds of interviews, lectures, webinars, and articles from experts like Dr. Steven Seiler, Tim Cusick, Dr. Inigo Milan, Coach Neil Henderson, Dr. Andy Pruitt, Sebastian Weber, and many more. And our members enjoy special member pricing on our solutions and services, like inside testing, coaching help sessions, sports nutrition guidance, and more. Learn more and join today at FastTalkLabs.com.
0: Jana, you did it. Crooked gravel, done and dusted, as they say. Tell us a little bit about your day.
2: I can't believe that I got to experience such a fun race. I'm so thankful for the training and the preparation and the opportunity to do something as unique as a gravel race in the mountains of Colorado. I got to the race a day early with Sam, our videographer and was able to pre-ride the course, which true to Hannah Finchamp's earlier advice was a great idea, really helped me feel prepared and a little bit more in control as the race rolled out of the start. So the race rolled out and I felt like we were going pretty slowly, but I was riding in the peloton for the first time ever and i looked down at my bike computer and we were going 21 miles an hour and i was barely even soft pedaling and it was really great to have gone on a few group rides before this as well because in those group ride experiences i was able to learn some of the common communication that happens in a group ride you know slowing and you put your hand down to indicate that you're going to go slower or you You move your hand kind of to the side to show that there's something in the road that riders behind you should look out for. And I felt prepared, at least to some degree, being in that situation, having gone on a couple group rides. Then I went out for the first big climb. I stayed with a a really strong group and rode really hard all the way up to the, the first aid station, which was at the end of the first time segment. I did fairly well for my age and group. Um, Then I hit the descent, and I was tearing down that descent with great abandon, which those who have ridden with me may not believe. I'm usually a pretty tentative descender, but I was feeling in, in the moment. And Then I started to see a couple riders off on the side of the road, dealing with some flat tire issues it was a very very rough mountain dirt road lots of big sharp rocks in the way and i wasn't necessarily picking my line very well so despite the fact that i had this excellent mosaic bike with these beautiful wheels that were made for the job i managed to puncture and also big 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 newbie mistake Didn't bring any tubes. Oh, man. I know. I know. Just layer the shame upon me now. When this flat happened, I panicked a bit. I kind of crumbled. I stopped thinking about problem solving and what to do next. I just kind of fell into the despondency of, oh, no, I failed. And I let that narrative take over for quite a long time. Eventually, I was able to get back on the bike. I got a tube in there. I got the the tire pumped up, and I got back on the road. And at that point, I was just so happy to be back on those two wheels and back on that beautiful course of crooked gravel up in Winter Park that I didn't even care anymore about strategy or the plan. I just tore through the course as fast as I could, and I had a great time. Um hundreds and hundreds of riders had passed me on the side of the road asking me if I needed help. And I smiled and said, oh, I'm good, I'm good. And that got hard after a few hundred times. Um, so by the time I got back on, it was just fun. And then I cracked before I got to the finish because I went too hard. But um, I, I had a great time. It was a really wonderful experience. I hope to do more gravel racing in the future and i've certainly learned my lessons.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about that. I i mean, it's pretty obvious. Uh as a beginner rider, you need to bring the tools for the job for repairs out on course and then you need to also know how to use them. And i think that was you you know this. Uh I, you probably felt some, i don't know, embarrassment or shame that you didn't have that stuff out there. So we don't need to uh belabor that point but uh, it's it's crucial obviously you don't want a little thing like a puncture which can happen no matter what you're riding on and no matter how good your equipment is to ruin your day and it kind of did for a little bit I'm glad to hear that it it didn't ruin it entirely so so that's great Uh, maybe we talk a little bit about some of the other things that got you prepared for this race and the key, the highlights, if you will, of that preparation.
2: Yeah, we've talked a lot about this through the N1 Challenge videos and the other couple podcasts that we've done here. So I just want to hit on a couple key things that I felt really prepared me well for this race. And I did feel strong on race day. And that is thanks to many things, one of them being fueling. Ryan Kohler and I talked many times about nutrition and the importance of fueling well, and honestly fueling quite a lot, even for a race like this. And I ended up drinking six bottles of Scratch in, you know, a four-hour race, 65 miles. And I don't even remember how many bars and snacks I ate, but it was probably more than I needed, but it wasn't, it was perfect. And it wasn't like I was enjoying eating them. I was, you know, chewing and choking things down as I went because I knew that I needed it. And I felt that really helped me make it to the finish line.
0: I think that that is honestly more bottles during that race than I had the entire time I rode around Iceland, but that's another that's another point.
2: <laughs>
0: Let's talk about the consistency factor when it comes to you as an athlete and your uh, this. We're using you kind of as an archetype of the beginning or beginner rider. How how important was consistency for you?
2: I know before I signed up for this race at the beginning of this year. Trevor had talked to me in the past about not just climbing. I love to climb. I love to just ride up in the mountains. It's beautiful. I enjoy the challenge. I enjoy the scenery, the cooler temps in the summer. Um, and he encouraged me to ride more flat. And I knew in order to do that, I would have to force the issue. So I moved further out of Boulder and established a commute that a daily commute that ended up being about 12 to 13 miles one way. Um, And I didn't do it every day, but I did it a lot of days. And that consistency, obviously, I still did the fun rides in the mountains on the weekends and when I could. But just grinding out those simple miles, I felt really prepared me and gave me a better base for this race.
0: One other thing that you've mentioned to me a lot, uh and i think that you experienced on race day was this idea uh about uh, community the support of this this community and how that was uh not only motivating but just kind of rewarding in and of itself
2: absolutely looking at the actual race day itself it was so fun to be there with Sam, again, our videographer, also an outsider to the sport. I think we both had a similar experience of, okay, we're here at this race. It's going to be really intense. You know, Everyone's going to try to go for the, the win. But the feeling there was one of, let's have a good time. And we're all people that just like to get out on the weekend and ride on some cool mountain roads and let's all go on this fun group ride together. And, you know, he, Sam even commented on the community aspect of it. Ryan told me beforehand when I was nervously asking him about, oh, no, what if I follow somebody's wheel and they don't want me to do that? Like, are they going to tell me or what am I allowed to do? What should I, what should I not do in terms of riding with a group in a race? And Ryan told me that the riders would just talk to me and everybody would be friendly, and that was so true. Not only were so many riders helpful and offered to give me their time and their tools when I had my flat tire, but as I rode along, riders were commenting on my Fast Talk Labs jersey and telling me that they listened and enjoyed the podcast and talking to me about my cool mosaic bike And, you know, we were just having a good time. It was such a fun ride. And then before the race day, all of these months leading into the training, it was critical for me to have the support of Trevor and Chris and Ryan and the other riders that I was able to meet out on the road. And having that support network and having that encouragement from everybody really went a long way on those days when maybe I wanted to do something else on a Saturday, but I chose to do the ride, and I always ended up having a great time on the ride. Um, Sometimes it's just a matter of when you sign up to do an event like this, you are committed to it, and it is important to follow through and do your very best with that, but it's also important to not go too hard. And I had a great conversation with Julie Emmerman, being afraid of going too hard and burning out of another sport, as I did with figure skating. I wanted to approach this sport differently. And I want this sport to have longevity. I want to do it for the rest of my life. I want to enjoy it for the rest of my life. And I really believe that that's possible. And so I wanted to start this with the mindset of, let's have balance. Let's keep everything in check, work hard, train hard, but also don't go overboard and don't let this become everything because I've experienced that before and that generally in my experience has led to being burned out.
3: That's a great observation. So I have one question for you. I'll start by saying I always tell athletes when they're doing their first event or their first big event or going to Nationals for the first time. You can't race an event like that until you've ridden an event like that. So if you were going to ride this again, now that you've had this whole experience, what would you do the same and what would you change?
2: That's a great question. And I feel that advice so strongly now having experienced this race. I do feel like when I was out there, I was just so in the moment. And it honestly feels like a dream. If I go back and do the exact same race or when I go and do my next race like this, I'll definitely be more mindful of the time segments. Everyone else was in my mind this is a race from the start to the finish it's hard to get that out of your mind and it was pretty jarring to see everyone pull off after the time segments and just stop and hang out and enjoy the moment and i wish i had actually done that a little bit more i because of my flat tire experience after that i was so in the mindset of catching up all of my lost time that I lost sight of the fact that there was just one other time segment that was the goal. And so I think that that's one area I would race differently. And one area I would train differently next time is to ride slower on the long, slow distance rides and to sprinkle in a few more strategic intervals as well just to get that really good top end built in.
0: Well, you learned a lot. In this process, I think it's also been very fun to watch this process play out. Uh, I've been riding bikes for a really long time. I still enjoy riding bikes virtually every time I get on one. Uh, so it was really fun to see and in and, and, and some very small part help you understand the joy that can be had from riding bikes and how it can, you know, honestly change your life in in different ways. So thank you for sharing all of this with us.
2: Thank you to both you and Trevor so much for the support in every way possible. You guys made this happen for me and I will never forget it. Well, it
3: was a lot of fun going through this with you. It's been a long time since I've had the experience of being the the new person at a race, so I got to live vicariously through you. It was fun.
0: Well, Ryan, you're actually fresh, most fresh, I guess you could say, from finishing your N1 challenge in terms of of, uh, your recollections and things like that. Let's turn our attention to you. Give us the Give us the one-minute take-home, if you will, on the race itself. What was it? What was it like? So the way I've been describing it, probably since halfway
1: through the event, was uh transformative. Mm. I because, like that word. Yeah, you you come out of it a different athlete than when you started. So you
0: you really hadn't ever done anything like this before?
1: Not to this level. I did a three-day stage race before, but it was the the durations were shorter the vertical wasn't as big and uh that was about it and i i, I thought that helped pr- prepare me somewhat but it was still this was so far beyond even my expectations of heart that
0: that's why it was so transformative <laughs> can you be more specific about that word cuz that's a big that's a big word transformative yeah. what do you what how did you transform coming out of it i think the way the way I,
1: I, as an athlete now, look at terrain and look at trails, thinking about, you know, just the mountain biking aspect of it is, is just different now. Like nothing seems that hard (laughs) anymore. So after probably the second or third day, I stopped looking at the terrain we were riding on and asking like, why would someone put us on this? (laughs) And, (laughs) and I just started to say, I know what's coming and we'll just do this again tomorrow and we will do it again the day after that. And then, that's why halfway through it, you're just like, it, it. that just becomes your new normal. Like rock gardens, slimy roots, slimy rocks that normally you would think twice about. You just stop thinking about it and you're like, I, I'm just going to go down it. Mm-hmm. A bit like being, quote,
0: in the zone, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It really felt like a, like a state of flow that you got into because everything, your focus, all the other small things that were going on outside of that didn't matter because they didn't they didn't help you move forward along the along the course that day, so everything was just like you take in kind of this big picture around you of like what's the what's the overall goal for the day You take it all in, and that way a, a little rock or a slimy root or a rock garden it really doesn't matter because the only option is
0: you go past that and then you <laughs> keep going, so there's no right. other alternative right well we we talked before we hit the record button um, and you actually said that physically it wasn't as maybe challenging as you expected. Um, I just want to briefly have you tell us what you mean by that. (laughs) Right. Because I mean, again, this is Breck Epic, six days, high altitude, lots of climbing, not massive mileage every day, but you're out there. What was the average stage length? Four hours. Three, it depends hours. where you are in the pack.
1: The leaders were three ish, and all the way to the toward the back of the pack was approaching seven hours. Mm-hmm. So wide range. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But physically, let's just
0: briefly, briefly touch on that.
1: Yeah, physically, I was trying to having ridden in Colorado and experienced the terrain. I was I was anticipating that it would be hard, but then I think that was where a lot of the worry came from in the last few weeks. It was just like, oh can i can I ride seventy five hundred feet one day and then go ride another seventy five hundred feet over forty two miles the next day and and there was some worry about that physicality of it, but once I got into it, it was more everything else like every ounce of your preparation was tested during that week, but I noticed after the the first day or two the physical piece like you're gonna settle into what your body's capable of, and then there's really. You can go harder, but then you're going to blow yourself up and end your day. And you can always go a little bit easier, but not much because the course dictates somewhat how, how, you're, how hard you're going to ride. But then what I noticed is once I sort of put that physical piece aside and realized, okay, I found my pace, you find your people, you find your group to ride with, and you see the same faces day to day, then it was everything else. It was the mental piece of just that constant forward progress. It was the logistics of what time do I wake up in the morning and when do I eat? When do I have to leave the house to get there to make sure I get my bags dropped in time? And then immediately after the stage, when can I get food in? When can I wash my bike and go home and start resting? And then the other piece actually on the course was the skills of just feeling comfortable moving through those courses because there's like nothing about any of those days that was really easy. And uh, that's what started to feel more like the balance shifted from physically, can I do this to can I move through smoothly utilizing the skills I've developed over the years? So it became more of that mental and logistical and skill-based focus throughout the week.
3: I continue to be amazed at the body's ability to handle what you throw at it. Actually, I can't remember who it was that said this to me, but I always love this expression of you'd be amazed what you can get through. Really, it's more a question of how long it takes you to get out of bed after you're done. Meaning you could throw something at your body that you don't think your body can handle at all, and your body figures it out and just kind of gets into that mode. And and just gets through it. Now, if you're fully prepared for it, you get out of bed pretty quickly. If if you weren't, then you're probably gonna have some rough days <laughs> afterwards once you're right. done. Yeah,
1: and there were some rough days. Yeah, I think that was the that was one of the shock shocking pieces was like day one is is I don't know, any better way to describe it than just like a kick in the teeth where you're just you're just floored after that day. And I think yeah, from the physical side even even that one day, I don't think I had adequate preparation to go and do that really, really well and get through it. But yeah, then you're just like, oh, what did what did I just do to the body? <laughs> so yep. you come back and do it again. But then it just every day you do it, it gets a little bit easier. And it was interesting watching like heart rate response for one, where that was just meaningless after a while. You just ride by feel and it was really we were either climbing or descending. So it was I ended up having like two questions that kind of guided each of those portions of the course throughout the day. And, and as we were talking earlier, Chris, with the, just how simple it becomes, it, 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 it just became a really simple question of if we're climbing, I asked myself two questions. If we were descending, I asked myself two questions and that was the only thing going through my mind. (laughs) What were those two questions? On the climbs, it was one, can I put more pressure on the legs on mm-hmm. the pedals. Yeah. And yep. the second one was should I? And normally it was a yes and a no 99% <laughs> yeah. of the time. <laughs> right.
0: So, right. I can but I shouldn't. shouldn't. Exactly.
1: Yeah, so that really helped inform Which the was overall good pacing. pacing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then on the other side it was the downhill of of can I go faster and should I go faster? And in most cases, those are both yeses because unless there was something, that, and that really speaks to the skill portion of just feeling comfortable saying, oh, I, I can go faster. And the the thought with that was, well, if I slow down, if I grab too much brake, I need to regain that speed. So there was really a, a strong preference to just not have to overcome any loss of momentum. Just keep keep moving through it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to bring up, you've already mentioned how important the mental side of this was. Um, and I hope this doesn't embarrass you in any way, but in the weeks leading up to the event, in the months leading up to the event, you were constantly saying like, there was a constant sense that you were worried that you could do this. Um, there was a lack of confidence there. I wonder how that changed as the race went on? And, and did you work through that or just forget about it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Leading up to it, I think there was a lot of hesitation and, and a lack of confidence. And I think the physical training that there was always that piece that was going well enough where I could say, I'm, I'm doing what I can. I'm going to be able to ride my bike. It's just a question of being able to make it through. And then in the last probably two or three weeks during that taper period, that's where the confidence was really being challenged. And it was, it became like a worry. (laughs) So even up to the very last day, uh, before we started the first stage, it was this worry of just, God, can I even do this? But yeah, once we got started, I think getting through the first day for as tanked as I was at the end of the stage, it gradually got a little bit better. And then there was that day two lull that occurred. But after that, when I got back on the bike day three and realized that, okay, things aren't as bad as they seem, the body bounced back and you can continue on. And then as you go through that stage, as you do feel better, I think then the confidence started to come back. And then I would say it only from stage three through six, it only built exponentially throughout that week.
3: So as a coach, what were you looking for leading up to the event to help inform you, yes, I'm ready, I think I've got the legs I need for this race, or no, I'm not ready?
1: So I don't remember the exact timeline of, of the testing, but I did... I did this big base block, base focus um, to help get ready for that a number of weeks out and then did some testing. I think we we did a follow-up inside test and then I did some workouts like Flagstaff um, was one of them where I went and did some workouts on and I was looking for some performance indicators just to say that, okay, you're better than this last time when we did that and I saw improvements on the inside results in terms of threshold. There was a threshold bump there and then had a really nice PR on Flagstaff, which was actually kind of a surprise, uh, just knowing how, I mean, in relative terms, how little time I was able to put in (laughs) to doing that. But um, there was, on the coaching side too, there was also this, and I think we've talked about this leading into it, where this taper, it was, it was probably three weeks. I almost started to feel like it was too much rest, but we had the wildfire smoke to contend with. There were other things that were kind of pushing the time down, but I wanted to feel a little bit of that edginess of like, oh, you're resting too much. You're not doing enough. And I wanted to feel some of that and felt it. So I knew that was good because it was more recovery than I would normally give myself. But then when that was paired with the inside improvements and then that Flagstaff PR, those were the pieces that tied it up and said, Nope, you're good. This is this is good. And the metrics showed it.
3: It sounds like I actually hit you with a, a text at the right time. I've done I've lost count of the number of stage races I've done. So I am very familiar with second or third day, you have this lull where you feel absolutely awful and you wonder if you can get through this event because if you feel this bad on the second day, how are you going to feel on the sixth day? Sounds like you had that. So tell us a little bit about that experience.
1: Yeah, it was exactly on the second day. And so coming into that, everything was already tired and sore. And I came out of that day feeling even worse than the first day. So I was expecting peaks and valleys throughout the week, and and as a coach, like I expected there to be a big valley at some point, and that day too was it. But even when you're, when you're in it at that time, it's so hard to convince yourself otherwise that you'll come out of it. So when you texted me on that second day and asked how things were going and I gave you that reply of like, I'm, I'm just tanked. This, this like, this is, I'm in the valley. And then, uh, just hearing you say like, okay, good. You're in that lull. You're going to come out like that logical Voice was so helpful because it just helped to quiet my mind, and uh, and that's that's the funny thing is like you know we know what to expect we know it should happen but when you're in the moment you just can't do it so that was a big takeaway was like the support structure of that text message from you Trevor and and I had random messages from other friends and family throughout the week and I think for something like this it's that support structure that was a huge takeaway of. Like just a little, just a one-line message from somebody to, hey, you got this. Like that was huge to help keep the motivation going and, and keep you keep you positive.
3: <laughs> well, I'm glad I could do that for you. So, yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. Having that support, as you say, you, you know intellectually about these things, but when you're in them, it's really hard to say, oh boy, how am I going to get through tomorrow? Mm-hmm. If you had
0: to give us your one-minute take-home on... What you learned from this event? What would that be? So one, as far as the, on
1: the physical side or the training side, it would be doing hard rides, like really hard rides that at face value, you look at those and be like, that doesn't look like fun. I don't want to do it, <laughs> but that's the ride to go do. And not to do it too much, like you have to pick and choose those Mm -hmm. so you don't overcook yourself, but find hard rides that are not the most enjoyable things.
0: Um, Because they push you physically and mentally, I would assume.
1: Yeah, the mental part. Like to put yourself out there where mentally you're like, why did I just... Put myself five hours from home mm-hmm. because now the only way home is to ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's the kind of scenario to get yourself into, and I think you have to feel that because when you're out there on the course and you're on the Colorado Trail, miles from any any sense of help or or civilization, like the only way back is you ride or you stay there overnight. <laughs> so so putting yourselves into those situations smartly and 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 at some consistent intervals throughout the tr- the training period. And the other piece is uh, the skills. Just being as well-rounded as you can. Like you don't have to be some, you know, World Cup downhiller to 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 actually go and ride all this stuff. But when you're when you're when you see it on the trail, you feel comfortable knowing, oh, I've seen this before. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna grip the bars super hard and and freak out over it. But I'm just gonna get off and walk it, and then I'm gonna get back on my bike and keep pedaling. And uh, there were a lot of times during that where I saw those skills come into play of just being able to ride calmly and, and, uh, and just travel through the course in a relatively kind of calm manner.
0: Would you say that you actually, in the course of six days became a better mountain biker?
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I figured you <laughs> yeah. said. That's a definite, yes. Yeah.
0: Day six was, I rode like stupidly fast on things. Oh, nice. <laughs> but well, there's reason enough to do a six day stage race. You will instantly become a better rider. Exactly. Just purely from volume of riding, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: A few months ago, we ran a survey to ask our members what they liked and disliked about Fast Talk Laboratories. We got some great suggestions, which we always appreciate, so we're taking them to heart. One thing you, our Fast Talk listeners, asked for was to release a few of our member-only stories for free. So we're doing just that in a new bi-weekly series we call FTW, that stands for free this week. Every other week, Fast Talk Labs will release one member-only story for listeners to enjoy. Already, we've released cyclocross skills from Coach Grant Hollicky, cross drills you can do with friends, and our workshop on the Training Peaks performance management chart. Don't miss out on free stuff. Join today at our free listener member level at fasttalklabs.com. So now we get to Chris mm. and his Snickers. <laughs> How many Snicker bars did you eat in this adventure? Uh
0: I jokingly estimate that it was approximately twenty seven in the course of twelve days. Not that many really, That's
3: actually not a lot
0: <laughs> once i once I you know dropped some of these numbers um and you know estimates of uh kilocalories and stuff the snickers did not put a dent in what I did to my body physically <laughs> you know.
3: So I mean even though Ryan did this killer six day stage race, yours was truly the ultra endurance event. So why don't you start with just giving us an idea of how big this was?
0: Yeah, um you know, by raw numbers, twelve. Big days of riding the, the, the 13th day we rode 42 miles, but we had to go get a COVID test to get to the airport, all that sort of stuff. So I consider it basically a 12, 12 and a half day, um, thing, uh, 1292 total miles, essentially a century for 12 consecutive days, a century plus some of the, some of the days we did take a rest day in there. That was 80 miles. Um, and our max day was 120 miles. Uh, total riding time 103 hours. Do you do the calculations on that? The average speed was not high, right? And that is because uh, the terrain, the surface, the rolling resistance, the weight of our bikes. And the bloody bloody headwinds of Iceland. <laughs> Entire time we, you know, uh, we met locals—not not that many locals on bikes—but every one of them was like, "Oh yes, the wind. No matter which way we turned, even if we did a hundred and eighty degree turn, it, it it was a headwind." Small island, very few trees. North Atlantic
3: wind comes from everywhere. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, elevation, kind of a throwaway number. The Garmin said at the end of the 58,675 vertical feet, but it was all kind of all over the place. The barometric pressure is changing a lot, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of throw that one out. There were some stout climbs. um, There were some rolling days, big, big rollers and stuff like that. Uh, Again, I'm not a numbers guy, but two more numbers. Load, this is from intervals.icu. Roughly equivalent, would you say, to TSS if people are more familiar with Strava? Yeah, I don't know their
3: exact uh, calculation on intervals ICU, but it's it's their equivalent to TSS.
0: Yeah, so over the course of those days, 3,214, pretty big number is my guess. Um, Max day that we had was 350. That was day two. Big day. Um, Yeah, and then total work in kilocalories was 59,762.
3: And how many calories of Snickers did you eat? <laughs> so you said 27 bars. I think they're 280 calories each. Don't Maybe. ask me how I know that. Yeah,
0: well, good. I, I don't know the math on that, but yeah, not...
3: You're right. The Snickers didn't make a dent. Not a, not a
0: big dent. You no. needed more Snickers. I needed a lot more Snickers. Yeah.
3: Food food
0: was scarce at times. The longest we went between two substantial meals was 28 hours. Wow. Yeah, so I don't remember which day it was, but we went from a really, really bad dinner. Because we were riding the second day, nine hours, 45 minutes ride time, that it was probably a 12, 13-hour day. Um, We would get into towns that there was nothing besides maybe a gas station, and we would cobble together a meal. Out of Snickers bars, chips, Um, I don't know if... The, the the classic goofball story that I have to share about it is we um, were in this one gas station, middle of nowhere, only option for food. And man, we were just sick of the food we were eating that day. Um, and chips, gas station food. Gas station food in Iceland, very similar to gas station food in the United States. Okay. <laughs> um, I grabbed what I thought was a yogurt and, uh, a Snickers bar and some chips and all this other stuff that I really didn't want to be consuming after a super long day. Um, and later when I went up to pay, so we just ate as much as we could. And then we paid 10, 30 at night in this little convenience store. Um, and the, the young woman behind the, the register was like, you're funny American. You, you ate a tub of of sour cream for dinner <laughs> i said no that was a yogurt and she said that was not a yogurt
3: <laughs> that was sour cream yeah, the fact that you ate the whole thing and you still didn't
0: know <laughs> well i don't know that i've ever consumed sour cream before i know it didn't really taste like yogurt but it didn't taste terrible so i just
3: You're ate, just, just an icelandic it. yogurt uh,
0: exactly i had no other options i thought it was uh you know the icelandic uh, uh yogurt skier s-k-y-r i thought that's what i had chosen but i was wrong
3: Anyways, this shows how tired you were in the middle of it. Absolutely.
0: This. It was it this was big. This was um redefined what big was in my mind. It's, the, the thing about cycling is it's all relative, right? Yeah. Um, this to some people is not that big, but to a, most people this is big. To most human beings a 6-hour bike ride is pretty pretty damn right. big. So
3: Well you said before we we started recording here, that this was the biggest thing you've ever done
0: by far. Yeah, I've done tour of the Gila, M- miniature compared to this, I yeah. think. You know, I've done a lot of other stuff, but I've done uh, the three day Breck epic, and at that time that was that was a big thing. Yeah, but this just um, far surpassed anything.
3: So what made this different from events like those?
0: I guess on one side of things, the signif- a significant difference was the fact that this was not a race. We were out there um, of our own choosing to do this and, and pushing ourselves even though it wasn't a race. Um, we were getting really crappy sleep. We were eating really crappy foods at times. Not always. Uh, we had some great meals. Um, we were sleeping on the ground a lot. Um, it was light out 24 hours a day, so our sleep I can't emphasize how poorly we slept some nights and how little we slept because so we were just so jazzed. We just wanted to keep riding the next day, and we knew it was going to be a long day. Um, this was different because it was unrelenting, unrelenting, and you had to get up, sometimes put on a dirty chamois, and do it all over again for two, almost two weeks. So it was really, um, you know, Mentally, something I'd never faced before, mentally something that I'm surprised I dealt with really well i would I would say um and and physically, certainly challenging, and also something I'm really surprised that I did uh handle it as well as I did. you know the whole premise behind my n one challenge was let's see if we can turn this guy who's built for. Shorter, harder efforts into somebody who can do this, and you know, lo and behold, proper training, proper background, proper mental attitude, all that you can do a lot a real lot with a little i don't I don't want to discount what I did because I probably get to train more than some people do, but not it wasn't huge numbers, as you know, averaging yep. twelve maybe twelve fourteen hours on a good week is not a lot but I pulled this off and I was, I was proud to have done it.
3: It should be. I mean, that that was quite an accomplishment, but it goes back to what we were saying with Ryan, which is, it's amazing what the human body can do.
0: It certainly is. And I think it's very cliche, kind of unfortunately, um, because I hope those people are like, Oh, that's cliche. I don't, I'm turned off by cliches or whatever, but you will not, Understand what you're capable of until you put your body and your mind and yourself into a situation like this and i and I want to go back to even even jana somebody new to the sport, redefined what she was capable of over and over and over again in just the first year, and you just extrapolate from there and you're like, "I don't really know if I can do this, and then you get into it and you just learn every day multiple times a day that you can do this stuff. And, um, yeah, there's low points. There's really challenging points, of course. But somehow you figure out how to get through it, and then you redefine what you're capable of, and it becomes, like Ryan said, transformative in that way, which is amazing that a bike can do that.
3: I think the other thing that really struck me about your experience, so even with Ryan's Breck Epic, with my stage race, we're dialing in our nutrition, we're dialing in our prep. We're making sure we're in clean chamois. We're staying somewhere where we can get a good night's sleep. Like we're we're doing all the things to support the event. You didn't have any of this, <laughs> as you said. If this was if you had to eat sour cream, you ate sour cream because that's all there was. Were you surprised that despite the fact that you weren't doing any of the things that you should be doing if you could have? That you still got through it, or do you think that had a did it have less of an impact you expected, or or more? I was I was pretty
0: surprised that um, that element didn't uh, hurt me more than it did. Um, I think those that have done bikepacking trips before, people that have done backpacking trips before, and I've done some backpacking and I've done some other excursions along the way, but I've never tied it together with such demanding rides. I think those those people that are experienced in those ways realize that um you you run a bit on adrenaline, you run a little bit on excitement, or maybe a lot on the excitement of being out there. You you're putting this stuff in your body. It has calories. At some point it just you kind of have to disregard that. There's no other option. Yep. You just have to make it work. You just have to consume stuff. Um, And I'm certain that some people do a lot better with that type of stuff than others. Now, I'm not trying to brag at all, but I feel like I'm the crazy person that actually revels in that. The harder it gets, the more I cackle with joy type person. Um, Again, I didn't necessarily know that about myself before going into this. Um, I had hints of that, but this really made me understand that that's kind of the sick mentality. That I, have. I mean, I have not mentioned the fact that on day two, um, in the highlands of Iceland, we got caught in a blackout dust storm with volcanic ash, not ash, but volcanic sand and dust flying around to the point where we could not see 20 feet in front of us. Um, and I, there's video evidence of the fact that I was laughing out there. Other people might be scared for their life. Other people might be scared that they might get lost or, or something. And I was literally like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever been in. Of course, it sucked too at the same time, but I was still laughing.
3: I love the pictures <laughs> of your face after that. <laughs> I just – I don't know. Looks um looks like you had spent the day in a coal mine.
0: Exactly, exactly. Uh, and – not for everybody, I realize that. But I, I discovered something new about myself. I, like I said, I think I kind of had some indication that that might be the case. Probably wouldn't have taken this on if I didn't know a little bit about myself in that way. Um, but certainly, being out there taught me a, a, more lessons about that.
3: I take it as you've just been hanging out with me for too long. <laughs> I've rubbed off on you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've always done crazy things, just never this big and on consecutive days. So.
3: One of the things that I think is different about your event versus the rest of our events is is mine, Ryan's, and Jana's, were all performance based. Mm-hmm. We're seeking performance. Where yours, as you said, there is no finish line. Nobody really cares if you did it an hour faster or an hour slower. Sure,
0: the finish line was completing the cycle, right. right?
3: So yours was more of a survival event, and I know in these type of events, often what what ends it for people is. Injury, overuse, uh, just something gets to be too painful. Did you have any of that sort of experience?
0: I would say basically no. And thankfully, uh, I I developed, I would say, very minor saddle sores after maybe day two or three. And day two, as a reminder, uh, or... That was the day when we were in the dust storm. That was the day we were in the Highlands. We, we went back into the Highlands later on, but I think we were just so dirty and who knows, the, the hygiene and chamois stuff, let's not go there, but I'm not surprised really that I developed some saddle sores and, and just spending that much time on a bike saddle inevitably. But they never developed into anything worse. I never had to do anything about them. They, they actually improved with time the the one thing that continued to get worse until the end were my sit bones I guess you could say just the pressure of sitting down and when you're in the wind head down uh working pretty damn hard to go about 12 miles per hour you're seated or you're seated on the bike you're kind of bent over your arms are locked your your core is engaged and you're sitting for long periods of time taking turns on the front on these lonely roads. And that was probably the most um, difficult to get through in terms of physical bod- bodily um, ailments. Is every time I wasn't on the front, I'd be sitting up like stretching and trying to spend yep. time off the saddle, I'm sure. I'm sure people have seen that in stage races where the guys at the back are just sort of trying everything to not sit down. Um, and that was a, both of us. Uh, I, you know, my partner, Matt Roy, he was the same way, just like sit bones were the, were the issue, but Can otherwise you? no. And I'm really happy about that. Really. I think fortunate about that. Um, cause I know that 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 can come up pretty easily, and then it gets out of control, and then it can ruin your day and end end things pretty quickly.
3: I'm glad you didn't have that experience. Yeah. So, Chris, let's ask you uh, if there was one take-home from this experience that you could offer to our listeners. What is your take-home?
0: I would say that if you have ever had an interest in stringing together Long days in the saddle, putting some some bike packing bags or panniers on your bike and taking a journey, whether it's a race or not, I would say make do everything you can to make it happen because there's nothing like a, a the sensation you get from the the, the the sensation you get from from journeying th- through a place from point to point to point to point every day instead of these loops we so often do. Um, And there's nothing like depleting yourself on day one, getting up, doing it again, feeling like you're in a hole, getting up, doing it again, again. and just learning what that feels like and learning that you can cope with it, learning that actually at some point you're probably going to, uh, improve, feel even better, feel, almost feel like you're thriving, um, hopefully, if you do it right and you don't cook yourself too early. Uh, and I, I think, I think uh, Ryan stole the word. It can be transformative in that you can learn something about yourself that you can't learn in any other way.
3: That's a great way to put it. I hope that's one of the big themes that we have for all of these N1 challenges. I know Jana's event, being essentially her first race, was the same thing. Absolutely. Before we launch into my N1 challenge, we need to give an update. We recorded this believing that I was going to be able to choose between the Tour of the Gila or the Tour of Tobago. Unfortunately, I suffered from what a lot of professional cyclists right now are suffering from, which is building towards races that once again got canceled. So both events are no longer on the calendar. Ironically, Tour of the Gila was actually canceled while we were doing this recording. And with that, back to the show.
0: Well, let's close, Trevor, by turning our attention to you. You don't actually give us uh, an update on your N1 challenge, You have, but you have an update.
3: Yeah, we'll be quick with mine because mine's a bit of a bummer. We scheduled this episode thinking that I would have already done my challenge, which I haven't. So I was going to do Joe Martin. I'm not doing that anymore. So we are going to move mine. Uh, at the time of this recording, we haven't decided yet if I'm doing Tour of Tobago or Tour of Gila because they're both at the same time, and we're also waiting a little bit because there's Delta variants on the rise, and one or both races might very well not end up happening. Right. So, waited to see on that. But the, the short version of mine, and I'm going to give you the real short version because I'm just not a woe is me guy, but we already had the episode about my, my friend in Moab who suffered the— We really do think he ended, ended up suffering heat stroke— uh, what we didn't talk about in that episode was I was so focused on him I wasn't noticing the fact that I was standing on the side of a mountain in 110 degree heat giving him all my water and bacon in the Sun I probably did some damage to myself as well and the week and after Moab I was out for a ride and just started noticing some issues, and those issues just continued week after week. So I ended up going in to see a doctor, but it was all July that they were testing me, and I didn't get an answer until early August. And not knowing what was going on with me, particularly in June, I just wasn't ready to train. I didn't stop training, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't able to train the way I wanted to or at the level that I wanted to. So, plus on top of that, as you know, we've had a ton of work going on, and I also moved at the end of July. So, just got to early August, and actually you and I talked about it and just said, I'm not there. I I did get the kind of go-ahead from the doctor. They said, you know, I I can do this. Uh, But just looked at what the next few weeks were, were like, where my fitness was at because of all these issues, and just said... I'm not going to be able to do Joe Martin the way I wanted to do it. would rather push back my N1 challenge and, and get closer to the fitness I wanted to be at for one of those events.
0: Despite the fact that you're changing things, I think this offers several lessons for for people and, and things, hopefully, that you've learned in this process as well. One being, sometimes there are bigger things than bike races, Right. Yes. And you should pay attention to those things. Yes.
3: And we've talked about this on the show, and, and I hope I'm setting an example there of health comes first. And you do have to be careful about your health. And, th- th- you know, this was tough for me. I don't like giving up on a goal. Uh, and as you know, we, we rediscussed whether I should do Joe Martin three four times because I knew it was the right choice. It was just I hate giving up on a goal. You're stubborn, too. I am very stubborn. so. But, yeah, no, you, you have to look, take care of and, and look at other things first, and, and that's ultimately what led to the, led to the choice. Uh, I would say a second lesson, though I, I, this one I've known for a while, is never be solely focused on an event at the exclusion of all else. So I always, whenever I'm targeting an event, I always make sure I know what the next event is so that I don't get so deep in the, the weeds, I can't see the big picture. So, you know, just because that comes naturally to me, e- even when I was certain I was doing Joe Martin, I was thinking ahead to, well, am I going to do Tobago or, or Tour of the Gila? So you're always thinking about what's, what's next, what's after.
0: Right. Well, hopefully things continue to improve, progress, and you get to do one of these races, hopefully they're, held, hopefully they're both held and you have a tough decision on which of these cool races you get to do, right?
3: I secretly hope one of them gets canceled <laughs> just so that I don't have to well, pick, but okay. no, yeah, no, I, I I, will pick soon. It's it's a tough choice. It's uh, I absolutely love Tour of Tobago. I've gone down there many times, so I, I really do, uh, you know, my personal feeling is I'd rather do that race, but My concern is if one is absolutely love to do Tour of Tobago, but being on a Caribbean island, if one, if there's one event where they're going to say a week out, sorry, because of what's going on with COVID, you can't come down here. That's that's the more likely one.
0: We hope you've uh, enjoyed listening to our journeys as we've taken them. Each of us has uh, had a lot of fun. Trevor, you're going to have a lot of fun eventually, and we'll hear more about that. Uh, Ultimately, we hatched this plan to inspire everyone out there to choose something. Obviously, we're in difficult times. Not everyone probably had the opportunity to choose an event like we did this year to make it their own N1 challenge, but hopefully next year or the year after that, we want everybody to be able to experience something that has the potential to be transformative in the way it has been for each of us. So that's, that's the hope. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts and be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk for those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com join and become a part of our education and coaching community. For Jenna Martin, Ryan Kohler, and Trevor Conner, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.